and I'll up. Is there is there a particular date that you want me to to put it to air on? Um, I have um, today's schedules. I have one premiering today. Okay. And usually it's Friday. Okay. So next I have, Friday. Because I do have another one as well that I just got done editing. That I'll okay. uh, I'll schedule. I guess uh, a few days after this one will air. Okay. Sounds good. Or whenever. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, you got it. You got it, brother. Now, do you want me to interview you on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just dive in, and we'll we'll we can go over the debate over what Solo Scriptura is and the issue with the canon. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay. was that the the thing? Um, I saw you did a video on Jerome. Was that from the debate? Jerome, Jerome. I don't think so. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I don't think so. It might have been an older video. No, wait. No, it wasn't. I'm sorry, Josephus. Oh yeah, yeah. That did come up. That did come okay. up, yes. So that was from the debate. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Let me make a note. Yes. Yeah, because I'm going to bring that up when we go on uh, live on uh, hands-on apologetics as well. That is a that is a good point. Yes, yes. He brought up, uh, and I'll get to it whenever whenever we we get rolling. I'll bring that up. Okay. I'm ready when you are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You could. You want to get the ball rolling? We'll we'll get started. All right. Welcome, everybody. Hands-on apologetics. No, that's the wrong program. <laughs> Let me try it again. We're going into radio mode. <laughs> Welcome to Apocrypha Apocalypse, everybody. And uh, we have a great program because we're going to interview our brother, William Albrecht. And uh, it might seem weird. Why are you interviewing somebody that's part of the channel? Well, that's because William just recently had a debate on Sola Scriptura. And part of that debate was on the canon. So I wanted to do a little bit of a, a debate debrief and specifically look at canonical uh, stuff. So, uh, William, hey, it's great to be able to chat with you today. Thank you for making time in your schedule. I am thrilled to be here, Gary. Indeed, and you're right. Uh, a lot of the debate ended up being on the issue of the canon. And really, I did anticipate that beforehand, because the gentleman that I was debating, um, who has a channel, goes by the name of Theosophical Wanderings, I believe. Uh, very nice guy. Very, very nice gentleman. He has done a lot of videos, which later on the audience are going to become aware of, because we're going to be looking at a few of them, where he will try to make the case that within Protestantism, there is no true problem in dealing with a canon of Scripture. So when I heard that from his videos, um, I really did expect us to have a, a long discussion on the canon. And really, we did dive in for quite a while. But, you know, as really is the issue all the time when it comes to the canon, and I don't say this at all to toot any of our horns, but to rather show the strength of the Catholic position, is that Protestantism does not have an issue, and they surely really do have a canon problem, Gary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So set us up a little bit with the debate. How did it come yeah. about? Um, what was the format? And when did the canon come into discussion? Yeah, you know, I got reached out to by a, a pretty large uh, Protestant platform, one of the largest debating ones. They reached out to me and they asked me if I'd be willing to debate the topic. And I agreed and we set it up. It, we never planned for it to be on Halloween, but it ended up because of uh, many issues and many scheduling uh, problems in the way. We ended up having to do it on Halloween. We ended up doing it on that day, providentially, I'd say. And the format was really, we dealt with 
what was um, the gentleman's thesis? It was that the Bible alone, as you know very well, is the standard, the sole standard for all faith and morals. And, you know, to really make it really simple, let me read what he does subscribe to. It is the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it tells us, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life. The audience pay attention. Faith and life. All of that is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture. Those are very powerful words, Gary. You have to be very clear. He promoted that. He read that. And to me, that really does create a major amount of problems for our evangelical friends. Because if they're going to claim that everything, everything basically that you hold to in regards to the faith can be found within the scriptura, well, you, you better be able to come to a conclusion as to what the scriptura is to begin with, meaning there's a canon issue. And uh, to be very clear, before we get to that canon issue, uh, I... I as is the case all the time, and as you know very well because you've debated a lot and you've written a lot, there really is nothing there in the Bible that would support anything even remotely close to Bible alone. Uh, and and you thus you have to go to passages like Mark seven. Now, what do I? What happens in Mark seven? Well, our Lord is condemning traditions of men. There's a big difference in the Catholic faith, and I want to be fair to our Orthodox as well because I reached out to a number of Orthodox scholars before that debate, and they said, look, you're not going to find an apostolic church on the planet that will hold the Bible alone. The living, beating heart in our faith has been the liturgical life from the beginning. And Gary, would you agree that maybe the lack of that liturgical life has led our evangelical friends into this bit of a problem they now, now encounter with arguing for the Bible alone? Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. That is a huge impediment, and yeah. uh, basically the only way I think you can make that case is to cherry pick from the early church fathers and, and pick things that sound like sola scriptura but really yeah. aren't. No doubt, and you know, before uh, before the debate, you know, I, I I probably knocked off. I hope 150 years of. Uh, of purgatorial time because I read, I went through reading everything that William Webster had to write about the fathers that supposedly support Bible alone. There's nothing there, as he pointed out there. And I'm joking about that purgatorial time. The point is, I went through that torture of reading it, and, and there is nothing there. You're going to find a lot of fathers that'll tell you, look, the Bible, the scripture is sufficient alone. You will find a few of them say that, but but then when you read everything they're talking about, you'll realize, okay, well, they're not saying what our evangelical friends want to say. One figure that I can think of is Gregory of Nyssa, St. Gregory, where only a tiny little snippet will be used, where he says, the Bible alone, that is all we need. And that tiny little paragraph will be used. But when you read it all, you realize what he means. He tells you, the Bible alone is sufficient alone to find out that the soul is eternal. The soul is immortal. The soul is immortal. It does not get destroyed 
if one goes to uh, if one is eternally damned and etc etc but never are you going to find any father arguing that the bible alone that the word of god alone the written word is self-sufficient in and of itself I, I have to be clear gary that was never taught in the early church and because of that uh, you're going to have quite the hill to climb if you try to make that argument and, and i've heard them all they're really in my opinion gary they're, they're, there's nothing even even remotely compelling because if you're going to argue that bible alone was put forth in the bible itself well you better have something pointing towards that maybe in the old testament there's nothing there or maybe in the new testament we realize that the very paradigm of the new testament is the word of god is transmitted through oral form and written form where do we ever get any indication that that is going to change whether in the time of the apostles or later gary you have to be very clear we never get any indication of that yeah yep yeah very good so you you, you know it's kind of a biblical non-starter yeah. and uh and like you mentioned you know uh it's never alone in the early church it's right. uh, liturgical and uh there's this religious doctrine the role of faith and scripture and yep. uh yeah so uh yeah the westminster confession i think does fall short in many respects yeah no doubt it, it, it really really does and you know I, we we frequently realize that you know, we don't only we don't only have that one we have that one we have the augsburg confession and really the beating heart of protestantism uh part of it is pointing to bible alone another one gary another passage that will get brought up very often is 2 timothy chapter 3 and you know it very well 2 timothy 3 very often will get brought up and we're told that when you look at 2 timothy 3 that the very premise the very meaning of what bible alone truly means to our evangelical friends can be found there and you hear it brought up very often let me read it for the audience we read from paul all scripture is given for by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work now gary when we read that maybe an evangelical friend will read this and they will say okay well what we believe in terms of bible alone truly is confirmed right here but there are a number of problems number one there's not a living catholic alive or orthodox or any apostolic christian that would disagree that all of the bible is the word of god or that all scripture is given by inspiration of god no one will disagree the problem is, is you don't have that important word only scripture is given by inspiration of god you have all and we agree with that the problem is that the bible in written form the word of god in written form is not the only word of god as the bible clearly lays out this is not a very helpful passage is it no not at all uh, you're right i mean all all you needed was that one word alone and you know you could have a case but in fact the, the whole passage kind of falls flat it yeah uh, it, it doesn't come near to giving it an exclusive uh 
you know, uh, def definition of scripture alone. Yeah, without a doubt there. <clears throat> clearing my throat, though, I got a little brief, a little cough there. Yeah, without a doubt. And that really, Gary, that to me is the important point that you're not going to find anybody arguing that the Bible is not inspired by God, that it's not profitable for reproof, for correction, to prepare and fully equip the man. We agree with all of that. <clears throat> but as you know very well, the Word of God, and we read it all over him, pulling up another another area in the Bible. Funny enough, in the Bible, we read everywhere, all over the place, that the Word of the Lord, the Word of God, is not only written but oral as well. And here is another one. This is a very important one. Very often, and we did bring this up during the debate. And let me add it right here. Here we go. We read here in 1 Thessalonians, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but, but as it is in truth. Now, very, very important to point out. We know that the word of God is handed down orally and written. When we talk about the word of God being handed down orally, we very clearly show that it's handed down in a form of sacred tradition as well. That is vitally important because if the word of God is not only written, well, Gary, I have to say the thesis of Sola Scriptura really does begin to unravel. Yeah, yeah. The only way I think, well, and I'm interested what he did in his debate, but I think the only way you can shore that up is if you say that everything has been consigned to writing. So, yeah, yeah the, the apostles, what they taught was the word of God. But all of that was reduced to what we have in the text, and there is no other uh, information outside of the text. But, of course, no. you, you can't do that, can you? You cannot do that. And a very good point that is leading me exactly to where he did go. And let me pull it up, because a very, very important passage that very often you will hear Catholics quoting from, let me pull it up here. It is a vitally important one, very, very often, and I have to admit, rightly so, we point to 2 Thessalonians, as you know very well where I'm going, 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. Let me just write it down here for the audience so they can see. There we go. Here we have, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. When it says word, very clearly, word of mouth or letter is what is being talked about here. Now, here's the, the, the you brought up a great point there. Really, the only way that an evangelical can kind of look, they, they're, they're on that ship. And there are a lot of holes in that ship. And, you know, that, that ship is about to go down unless they begin to patch that ship up. And to attempt to patch that ship up, they will do just what you said, Gary. They will tell you, well, look, I wish I had a book here in hand. Well, pretend I've got a book on hand. They will grab the Bible and say, look, 
We agree with that. But every oral tradition, every oral tradition can be found right here in the Bible. All of the apostolic traditions, all of them are right here in the Bible. The written word does not differ at all from the oral word. Now, even if that were the case, which we don't grant that, even if that were the case, the fact of the matter is the word of God was not handed down in Bible alone form, in written form alone. Even in Mark 7, we read that the that they, uh, the individuals that our Lord is talking to had transgressed the commandment of God for traditions of men. The word of God that is being talked about there is the word of God, the commandments of God that were etched on stone in Mount Sinai, not talking about a leather skin Bible that any of our friends would have been walking around with. So that is a very important point. They'll point to our Lord and they'll say, hey, well, Gary, William, what was the standard that our Lord pointed to? To correct these people that had gone wayward, he pointed to the Bible alone. No, he did not. Because the oral law was, the law was handed down orally and written. Originally, merely orally, and then etched on stone on Mount Sinai. So that argument does fall apart. But then right here, 2 Thessalonians, they will try to argue that Every tradition, every apostolic tradition can be found within the Bible alone itself. But Gary, then as, as the audience, they're probably very excited to finally get to it. But then we encountered that problem of the canon issue, which very clearly the fathers are clear. Augustine is clear. Um, Cyril of Jerusalem, um, uh, the great St. Athanasius. Every time you're going to encounter a father, they're going to tell you, well, the books that are holy are passed down by the apostles. And it is important to note that this is an apostolic tradition handed down and passed down. And if you believe, and I love reading, if you believe as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, that the whole counsel of God is able to be deduced from the scripture, well, then you better be able to deduce your canon. And Gary, to this day, I have not encountered an evangelical that can do that from the Bible alone. Yeah, at least not any co coherent and cogent way, right? No Many way. have tried, but few have, uh, in fact, none has succeeded. Mm. Not at all. And, and Gary, we look, as I tell the, the audience very often, uh, we've been around for a long time. If I had hair, uh, my hair would be all white, but I don't have hair anymore. We've been around the block to point out that we've heard it all. I've encountered people that have tried to get the canon from the Bible itself by arguing that, well, they're self-attesting. Uh, the Holy Spirit will move you, will really show you and work through you and show you that the book is canonical. You know, uh, none of that will work. And and the other, the other argument that, you know, thank the good Lord that you very rarely hear it now, uh, but the other one of, of quotation equals canonicity. That one they know won't work either because you've got books that are not inspired, that are quoted from. You have pagan philosophers quoted by St. Paul. And we're not going to argue that their works are inspired. So you need to find out, you need to come to a way to be able to discern your canon. If you're going to argue Bible alone, 
you better, better be able to discover or tell me what your Bible list is from the Bible alone as you tell us everything, everything important for the faith or as the Westminster Council says, everything necessary for faith and life is either expressly set down or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced. How about we lower it a little bit? Even if it isn't explicit, where is it implicit? Gary, I would argue that even implicitly, you're not going to come to a 66-book list that the Protestants hold to today from the canon itself. Right, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, every avenue to try to establish that that's not rooted in the historic church fails right yeah. i mean you you can't come up with a closed canon ultimately um unless you actually have um the early church chime in in some significant yeah. way no doubt and, and you know another thing that um and i really want to point the audience to a lot of videos that we have done here on the reformers like you've done a boatload of incredible work on the reformers and i think the audience really should go and watch the videos to realize that uh, you got a very confusing picture there put forth by the reformers you have luther utilizing the deuter canon in various different ways throughout his life <clears throat> you've got calvin utilizing it even calling baruch prophetic so then you even have yan Hus who is, is very largely known as, a, as one of the great forerunners of the Reformation. And then when I was preparing to debate, the gentleman I debated, Theosophical Wanderings, I found out that he was an Ar Arminian. You know, I had never done a lot of work into Jacob Arminius. Now, for those that may be wondering, keep an eye out. I just got done editing a video that will air very soon, God willing, where I did do a deep dive into Jacob Arminius. Now, the one thing that I didn't know, because I got to be very clear, when you talk about the Reformers, very often you're going to focus on Calvin, uh, Zwingli, Luther, even Francis Turretin, you know, the, the names that are common household names. To be very honest, I, have I had never done a whole lot of work on Jacob Arminius. But sure enough, I began digging and diving into Jacob Arminius, and... Perhaps I should not have been shocked, but I begin to encounter Jacob Arminius utilizing the Deuter Canon over and over and over. And I know, <laughs> I know what our evangelical friends will say. We know all, we can anticipate it, Gary. They're going to come back and tell you, well, William and Gary, yeah, well, they can use them, but you know, they're not using them as inspired. No, Jacob Arminius was utilizing them as divine inspired scripture so then you encounter a very big problem because if our if my if my opponent my friend and any other modern day arminian are going to try and argue for the bible alone and they hold the shorter protestant canon well they're in a bit of a bind because their scriptura doesn't even line up with the very namesake of their own religion. He's over here utilizing wisdom, Sirach, and other deuterocanonical books as holy writ, and they're arguing that they, and they are, modern-day ones, are arguing that they're apocryphal. Now, Gary, we, we encounter a great problem there, don't we, yeah, for them? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's I I never looked into Arminius <laughs> and uh the whole branch. So yeah, good job. Um yeah, we we well we definitely have to do a video on that, William. And without uh, a doubt text up there. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. That is gonna be fun because we're gonna have the text up there where you can see rather than you thinking, well, hey, you know, you all are talking about it, but where's the video? We promise you the video is coming soon. And in fact, I will only, I'm not going to put it up right now because I want you all to check out that video later, but I will tell you that a numerous examples I have are him quoting from the book of wisdom, calls it scripture, and then he will quote from Sirach. And here's the funny thing, Gary, he's in the middle of a debate. He's debating on predestination and he will tell his interlocutor that you should not, and this is really, really funny. He tells them, you should not teach beyond what the divine scriptures say. Don't go beyond what the scriptures say. And then he <laughs> begins to quote Sirach uh, along with other, other proto-canonical books. Gary, you know, we're, we're in a bit of a bind. Well, we're not, but our Arminian friends are in a, in a bit of a bind. If, if they're going to come to the table and they're going to argue for the Bible alone, yet the very, I know they don't like us to call the founder, we don't like, they don't like him to be called the founder of their religion. So we'll tell them, okay, well, the very namesake of your religion doesn't agree on what the scripture is according to what you agree upon. Then we have to come to the table and say, okay, well, we have a big problem. How is your standard better than the very namesake of your religion? By what criteria from the Bible alone are you going to tell me that your standard is superior to the very namesake of your religion? You know, Gary, that is a problem that, thank the good Lord, I don't have when I lay my head in the pillow at night. But that is a problem that I don't think is resolvable for our, our Armenian friends. And we encountered that during the debate. I brought it up during cross-examination and really I got no good answer, Gary. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, I'm not sure what he could say. To tell, tell you the truth, he probably never heard of that before. No, I don't think he had heard of it. I don't, but to be very fair, fair. right, right. And to be, to be fair, Gary, We've been doing this for a long time. I hadn't heard of it until I began preparing for the debate. But I dug in because if we're going to come to the table and debate the Bible, well, then I want to know what Jacob Arminius taught about the Bible and about Bible alone. And sure enough, I found multiple deuterocanonical references. And I did. I wanted to be fair. When I found them, I wanted to make sure he wasn't merely, you know, mentioning, oh, okay, well, that talks about a historical event or what have you. Or, you know, maybe that is edifying to read or what have you. No, he will quote from the Deuterocanon and he will quote from it as if it is divine scripture. And that is the important point. And when I did um, bring that up to my friend during the debate, you know, I got no good answer. There, there is no good one. And uh, the other point that did get brought up, and I'm thrilled to be able to be here and talk about it, uh, and I've heard it brought up often. He brought it up in a video, and we will be doing, by the way, for people wondering, um, looking at other comments, making other video examinations, videos from 
comments about the debate. There is a statement that was made, and I think, let me pull it up because I think I wrote down, I, I don't think, I know that I wrote down, I came up with a bunch of names. Here we go. Another statement brought up, maybe you've heard of it before, Gary, you've heard, but we were told in a video and during the debate that by and large, maybe the Deuter Canon would have been utilized by the Latin fathers, but by and large, it was rejected as apocryphal by the Greek fathers, we're told, from the beginning. Now, we're not told later on. We're told by and large the canon, the Deuterocanonicals, were not accepted by the Greek fathers from the beginning. Now, that one, I had, I had not heard it phrased that way before. You know, I, I'd heard, I've heard it broken down a lot of ways, but I had never heard it really phrased to where they grab the Greek fathers and they kind of put them on an island of their own and tell us that the Greek fathers, hey, the Greek fathers, as if they must have known better in some way, as if the Greek and, and, and Latin fathers are so separated, as if the Latin didn't know better and the Greek knew better and they rejected the Deuterocanon. Gary, had you ever heard that? Heard it, heard it broken down that way before? No, not at all. No, right? I hadn't either. Yeah. But um, not not that um, not that sharply, and uh, I'm kind no. of shocked by that because I, I don't know where they would go to substantiate that. Incredible point. I don't know where they would go, and I don't either, because when I heard that, I prepared for that. When I heard that, I now I didn't go through an exhaustive list, but I went through a bunch of Greek fathers that are very very well known Greek writers now. Is it rejected? Is the Deuterocanon rejected in Pope Clement of Rome? No. Pope Clement of Rome utilized the Deuterocanon. You're going to find the Deuterocanon utilized by Irenaeus of Lyon, Clement of Alexandria, even great church writer, Origen of Alexandria, Dionysius of Alexandria, Alexander of Alexandria utilized it, St. Athanasius, Basil the Great, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory of Nazianzus, St. John Chrysostomos. But to me, Really, really, the one thing that our friends do not realize, our evangelical friends, is that ecumenical council after council after council utilize the Deuterocanon when East and West are united. They quote from the Deuterocanon. They include the Deuterocanon. You never have an uproar from the Greek fathers saying, hey, wait a minute, we're not going to put our name pen to paper because you all are utilizing the Deuterocanon. You don't ever encounter that. And I have to be very clear, Gary, I don't know where that argument does come from. I don't. And I, I yeah. did I did ask him, provide, you know, provide me who which, which Greek fathers rejected the Deuterocanon. And I didn't get any. But I'd never heard it broken down that way. But to be very clear, I, I can't think of where anybody would turn to make that argument. Yeah. No, I, I don't either. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I hope I'm not skipping ahead. But I, um, Josephus also came into yeah. your debate as well. Tell us a little yeah. bit about it. He did, Gary. And and that, you're not jumping ahead at all. That's coming up next. In fact, we began uh, debating. And then when I brought up, when I wanted proof, okay, if you're going to claim the Greek fathers um, or any early church father reject the Deuterocanon, canon, that it was, it was widespread, you know, Show me the money, <laughs> you know, show me the evidence. 
give me that paper trail. And if you don't have a long paper trail, give me anything you got. Right. And when he couldn't give that to me, he then turned to the early Jews. What you hear very often, he then said, well, look, very early on, by the time you get to the first and second century, the Jews have already rejected the Deuterocanon. The Deuterocanon has no place within ancient Judaism. It's not being used in any other way other than the Deuterocanon being completely apocryphal. Now, that is a very strong statement. You better show me the money if you're going to make that statement. Right. And I pointed out to him that the paper trail shows us, historically, the Jews were debating all sorts of issues regarding the canon for quite a while. If you're going to claim that there is a historical source, first century, really even predating Josephus, and then second century, well then, Gary, if you're going to make that claim in a debate or even in videos you've done, you better be able to provide one source. And if you cannot quote an actual early Jewish writer, quote a scholar that says that. Gary, I'm not aware of any that would make that argument. No, no, I don't know any either, to tell you the truth. No, and, and you know, I, I, I even did tell him. I said, okay, well, do you want to dive into Josephus? He did not. And we know very well, and you know very well, because you are the man to go to on Josephus. You are working on a, an incredible amount of stuff when it comes to Josephus. Um, is there anything in Josephus, Gary, that will allow the Protestants to say, Josephus, early Jewish historian, is evidence of our shorter canon? He's a, uh, he is a KO for the Catholic canon position. Is there anything there? No, not at all. In fact, uh, yeah, we did. I did an extended series on Josephus, as you know. So if anybody wants to see that, you can just go and do a search. Um, in fact, you know what? I'm really proud of you because I believe you called him out on the list aspect yeah. of it. Yep. You know, he mentioned Josephus's list, and you asked him, uh, well, which books are on that list? Yeah. So kudos to you. Uh, I mean, something simple like that. Because Josephus Very. doesn't list anything. No, he doesn't. And, you know, that is a problem. And, you know, really, really for our Catholic friends, I think that the main message that I would like to give them, Gary, is that, look, don't take anybody's word for it. Go and read. Go to the actual material and read it. Because a lot of the times you're going to hear our evangelical friends throwing out all kinds of names but then when you tell them, okay, well, if you want to bring up Josephus, name the books that he does list there. Tell me which ones they are that support your evangelical shorter canon. And then when you hold their feet to the, to the fire in a friendly way, you realize that there really is nothing there at all. And, and you know, one thing, Gary, you know, one thing that almost got brought up, but, uh, but he held back. He pulled back at the last moment. He didn't finish his sentence. And if you go and watch the debate, he was right on the verge of quoting the Council of Jamnia. In fact, you will, you will hear him right before he can say, he'll, he'll cut himself off. I don't know why. Maybe he realizes that that, is a really, that, that that doesn't work anymore. I don't know why, but he was going toward, he was going towards that, and then he'll cut himself off. Do you hear Jamnia brought up anymore today, Gary? No, not at all. 
because that's that's been something that's been debunked since what like the 1950s oh man that is ancient oh yeah. that was debunked a, a while back um you don't hear that get it brought up anymore and usually if that does get brought up uh i don't really hear it get brought up in debate anymore it really it's not a it's been blo blown out of the water for a while already it really has been but you know one thing that i do want to throw at you gary that God brought up briefly, and I challenged him, and we were not able to dive into it. We weren't able to dig into it, but I challenged him. I said, okay, go over what you're talking about. We're going to show that they're not what you want the audience uh, to think they are. But he briefly brought up, he said, well, look, if you go into Mead and Gallagher, Mead and Gallagher, who are scholars, by the way, Mead and Gallagher are going to show you that in the early church, there are all sorts of canonless. And that really does debunk the idea of the Deuterocanon being inspired. Now, Gary, we've done shows on that before, debunking that. But what are your brief thoughts on that? Have you heard that brought up before? Have you? Uh, do you think that that is getting brought up more and more lately? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this idea that there's like multiple lists I'm not yeah. really sure what they're getting at. So are they arguing that there there was no canon until the fourth century? Or, you know, what exactly is the? That's something I don't understand why they're arguing down that road. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I, I, I can't quite wrap my head around it. I'm thinking that they're referring to Melito. Um, they're referring to what they believe to be uh, ancient, the Briennius list, but even that doesn't support them. Even uh, Melito Sardis doesn't right. support their thesis either. N none of the, you don't get a Protestant candidate from any of these. So, yeah. uh, you know, when you hear it, it really does sound robust. But then if you try to, if you unveil it, you, you pull back the argument and you unveil the argument, there's nothing there uh, at all. And, and to me, here is really the crux of the issue. And we didn't debate that topic. We debated Bible alone. But really the issue is this. If you are going to tell me that in the Bible alone, as your confession of faith breaks down, you got everything there, everything for faith and morals, everything for the, live, for the life of the faith, everything that is an apostolic tradition is there in the Bible, well, you better be able to tell me what your Bible is, how you get to those books and those alone. Why Revelation? hotly debated book. Why not a different apocalypse? Why that one? Uh, don't tell me that you feel the burning in your belly, the, you know, that, that kind of burning there. Uh, don't tell me any of that. Don't give me the feeling. Don't give me an emotional, an appeal to emotion, because by that very virtue, I can point to Muhammad's uh, very ridiculous interpretations of, of biblical events. Or I can point to Mormonism, or I can point to all kinds of cult groups that have distorted the faith. We need to know how we can discern what the Word of God is. And if you have rejected the church that our Lord founded, the pillar and foundation of truth, as the Bible tells us, well, then you better have a very good way of being able to tell me how you arrive at the Scriptura. And Gary, you know, for as long as I've been Catholic, and even when I was evangelical, that's why I realized it was such a big problem. I have yet to ever hear a good answer on that. Yeah. 
No, it, it really isn't. And I think if you push it like you did, <clears throat> it ends up destroying and undermining scripture itself, you know, yeah. because not, it's certainly not the, the Protestant canon, because like you said, all of these uh, lists, are there's always variances, right? Yeah. And, the, and the reason for the variances is because they're addressing different things, right? Yep. Um, and I, I think it was uh, Gavin Ortland did something like that when he, yep. he did a similar move like that. And it's kind of like if you have three people standing around a bus from different viewpoints and their descriptions, you compare the descriptions that are different, yeah. you could come up with one of two different conclusions. Either uh, there are three different school buses because all three descriptions aren't the same. Or there's three descriptions of the one school bus, but right. from different vantage points, right? Yeah, no doubt. And so th they'll take stuff like that and they'll say, see, there, there's multiple canons in the church, and therefore, um, therefore there's no consensus on it. Um, but actually, there is a consensus, but you have to take each list and understand it within its own particular context. And that would require reading and reading a lot and doing a lot of work. Yep. And that really truly is required. If you're going to if you're gonna make a bold claim, you better be able to back it up. You better do your homework because a lot of these very bold claims really do fall apart when we begin to examine them. I mean, they really do, Gary. And <laughs> you know, when it comes to the canon, the Deutero canon, you encounter a major problem if you're evangelical. A major problem, because if you're going to tell me, and I, I, you know, I hammered it home. If you're going to tell me every apostolic tradition is in the scriptural, well, this is an apostolic tradition. You can't discern it. Another thing that get, got brought up in the debate, and I've been hearing it a lot more lately, and I've read a lot of him. It's Michael Kruger. I've read a lot of, of, of Kruger's thesis. I've read a lot of his work on the canon, and I know his argument. The argument that, well... You know, we really don't have a canon problem because of the way the way the early church discerned the canon. We're told that the early church looked to the Bible. They looked to what was apostolic to discern what the scriptura was. Look, you can write the most beautiful book. You can write a book with incredibly eloquent language. You can write a book that will blow anyone away with great language, great chapters, beautiful poetry and prose but at the end of the day all of that poetry and prose is not going to solve your problem because from the bible alone i do not care if you're telling me that they utilized what was apostolic to come to what the canon was i don't care i agree with you there what i care about is how do you how do you know what is canonical from the bible alone and no amount of fluff is going to help an evangelical come to the conclusion of what their canon is unless they go to apostolic tradition. Right now, for a moment, we can forget about the Deuter canon. Their New Testament list, 27 books, they rely on sacred tradition for that. They do. I could tell you that because I could tell you right now, what are you going to rely upon? If you go to Luther, Luther did not have kind words about the Epistle of James. He did not have kind words about the letter to the Hebrews. He did not like St. John's Apocalypse. Why do you think he never wrote a commentary on the Apocalypse? Now, 
he'll write comments here and there about it, but an extensive commentary, he never cared for it because he denied that it was written by an apostle. He didn't care about it. And that is why early on in the early days of the Reformation, it is very hard to find a complete commentary on the book of Revelation. You can't find it. It's very hard. I know that because I've dug in. I've looked at all of the early ones. Very early on, they're hesitant to even touch it because they knew the very founder of the Protestant revolt didn't like it. Thus, they're very hesitant early on. So you can't tell me that, well, my 27 book, New Testament canon, from the word go, you know, the word go, it was already put together. Everybody knew about it. That is not the case because even when we get to Luther, Luther is really, really disparaging proto-canonical books, books that are in the New Testament. So you need to tell us how you know the books that are in your Bible are the Word of God and only those. And eventually you arrive at a major problem to where Protestants will have to argue and say, well, okay, well, you know, we believe in an open canon then, which today a lot of them have moved towards. It doesn't matter where you go. If you are not Catholic, you have a major problem. And I've heard it, I've heard it all, Gary, where evangelical, when they're finally realized their backs are against the wall, I know it already, Gary. They're going to tell you, well, Gary, do I need the Deuterary Canon to be saved? As, as if they have finally already conceded, we don't have an answer. We don't have an answer. But, you know... What do I, do I need it to be saved? Well, by that very kind of question, how about we rip all the books out? We only leave one chapter of the Bible, which will talk about Christ dying for you, and that's all you need. The fact of the matter is, if you love the Word of God, and if you want to follow all of the precepts of God and what God wants in your life, then you want to have the complete Word of God. That is at least what I would think as a Catholic, wouldn't you, Gary? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, especially for Sol Scriptura, um, if you cut off part of the Word of God, that's going to affect your interpretation of the Bible because according to Sol Scriptura, the Bi Scripture interprets Scripture, right? Yeah. Right. And, and if you cut out the, the things in Scripture that goes against your interpretation, then really what are you doing with appealing to the Bible alone? You know, it's kind yeah. of a shell for... Uh, Basically, you're just following your own theology. Yeah, 100%. You're just following. What you are doing is you're following your own theology. And as we can tell in the debate that I just had, that is the case. Because my opponent wasn't even following the theology of Jacob Arminius. I mean, that to me is shocking. And another thing that we hear often is, well, you know, why do you debate the canon if we're talking about the Bible alone? Well, it's a very related issue. Because if you wanted to, if you think that you're going to come to the table and de debate Bible alone and not talk about the canon, well, how do you even come to the conclusion as to what the Bible alone is? You need to know. You need to be able to have a way to know what your scripture is. And as an evangelical, there really truly is, is no surefire way to know. You've got to go to tradition. Sacred tradition, that nasty, nasty kind of word, that word tradition, you got to go to it. And we don't mean traditions of men. 
that not only our Lord, but all of the apostles would have condemned. We don't mean that. We mean the tradition is handed down the paradosis as the Bible, 2 Thessalonians 2, and many other areas point out. Gary, very often we will hear, and I find it very interesting, very often we hear, hey, well, we're an evangelical. We are a noble Berean. We are like the noble Bereans, they will say. Now, for the audience wondering, they will very often bring up the Bereans. They'll tell you, we are like the Bereans in, in the way that the Bereans went through the scripture. They studied the scripture over and over. We are like a noble Berean. But, you know, Gary, before, before we end the show today, I, I want to show the audience that that argument really doesn't work well for them. Because if you look in Acts 17, it says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So they're, they're going through the word. They are searching the scriptures. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea. Notice that. They search the scriptures and they know that the word of God is what? Preached by Paul. Right there, right in the context of the noble Bereans in the book of Acts, you find that the word of God is not only written, but preached orally as well. And I think when we realize that, really the thesis of Bible alone really does fall apart. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it did a really good job in this debate. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, it's just, I, I don't understand why people don't see the import of the canon. I mean, if you hold on to Sola Scriptura in the strict sense, then ultimately you undermine the scripture itself. Yeah. And, um, I think a lot of people have realized that and have lost their faith in the Bible. They have. They really have. And and that that is an area that is one thing that we don't want to happen. But right. a lot of the times you go down a very dangerous road when you realize that <clears throat> you need tradition to be able to know a lot of these things. Another thing, Gary, that got brought up during the debate, that my opponent argued, and I agree with him, that revelation ended at the death of the last apostle. We agree wholeheartedly. But where do you find that in the Bible alone? You don't find that explicitly, or I'd argue, even implicitly laid out in the Bible. Alone. You need sacred tradition for that. And yeah. to be very clear, you know, at the end of the day, Gary, there is there are so many problems that you encounter if you hold to Bible alone. And, and I wrote down a few of them, a lot of them. For instance, if, if you're going to hold the Bible alone, I think of the Lutherans. The Lutherans hold to baptismal regeneration with the Church of Christ. But the Baptists and Presbyterian, Presbyterians don't. That is important because Lutherans and Church of Christ will really hammer that down, that that is important. I know because a close friend of mine is Church of Christ. And he will emphasize baptism regeneration all day and all night. You have a break there. 
Lutherans and Presbyterians believe in infant baptism, but the Church of Christ and Baptists don't. And they will argue that those are church-breaking issues. They are important and vitally important. Here you have four major groups of the many denominations, and they can't even agree on the nature of baptism. That is a mess, Gary. Presbyterians believe that the communion, in communion, you have Christ's real presence in a spiritual kind of sense. It really does amount to symbolism, but they'll argue that. Lutherans, as you know, will argue for consubstantiation. But then you look at the Church of Christ and the Baptists, and they're going to argue for symbolism, strict symbolism. You know, there you yet again, those four churches out of many that hold to the Bible alone can't even agree on the Eucharist. And you've got a problem there, a major problem. If you're urging all of your followers to hold the Bible alone, and you can't even come to the table and agree on these very essential matters, I have to be very clear. Sola Scriptura has miserably failed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's and that's just a survey, right? Mm -hmm. And, I, and yeah. it'd be, you know what, William, it'd be really fun for us to put together a list. Of yeah. The differences on the, the views on the canon, you know, as well. We have to do that. I we've got to do that that would be an incredible incredible show that's a great idea yeah it would be it's good to kind of keep all these things in mind because you and yeah. david you're always uncovering these new things uh within the protestant reformation and you as well you as well brother we're, we're look we're all nerding out all the time and i talk with <laughs> david very often uh, david does want the audience to know and i can't wait for i told david that david you got to get it out soon david is working on a mega video. We will debut it, God willing, before the end of the month here, where he's going to do a whole video just on whether or not we have a problem with the books of Esdras. He is going to do an incredible deep dive through scholarly work, looking at the fathers and the early councils. You know, Gary, I can't wait for that. Yeah, same here. Yeah, he's he's done great work in the past, oh, yeah. and I can't wait to see the, the unveiling, so to speak. Yep, yep, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So why don't we, we'll just conclude right here because uh, yeah. lots of good food for thought and you dropped a couple of bombshells on us today. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, William. Yeah. I wanted to only to, to be very clear. If you've enjoyed the show we've put together, I don't care what you have to say. If you only want to put a thumbs up, anything, help out with the algorithm and comment down below. Flood it. Let us know. Did you like it? What else do you want to see? I can guarantee we will read what you write there. Comment down below. If you haven't subscribed yet, do it now. Hit the like, share, put that little bell button on so we can bother you whenever we've got new material for you and we can bring it right to you. But really help out with the algorithm. If you like the videos we've been putting out, you can really help the channel grow even more. More people view the channel because the more and more people that do view the videos, it will help us produce more material for you. Let us know down below how you have liked the show. That is really all I had to say, Gary. Awesome. Well, yeah. So subscribe, like, hit the bell, leave comments, tell people about it. Also, William and I are on Patreon, so we appreciate your support. It helps us to uh, you know alleviate the expense of getting research material to do stuff like this. And uh, 
All right. So, hey, until next time, thank you so much for watching and God bless. Thank you.